Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning. Scott Luton with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Hello, Guy and Dr. Bradley. How y'all doing today? Doing well, Scott. How about you? We're doing wonderful. Great to have you both. Guy, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Good to see you guys. Excellent to see you as well. We've got a great show teed up here today, and we've got two very special guests here. We've got Dr. Randy V. Bradley, the Associate Professor of Information Systems and Supply Chain Management with the prestigious University of Tennessee, and Guy Coutin, Vice President of Industry and Advanced Technology with Texas. Okay, so now, you know, and that doesn't do both of your pedigrees justice, but I really appreciate y'all's time here today, and I'm really excited about the topic we're going to be talking about, right? Oh yeah, it's gonna be fun. It you is gonna be right, Scott. I give you, I'll give you, you know, I wish I could give you like a little thumbs up up here. Man, I'll tell you, you know, you practice and you practice and you practice and you practice, and sometimes you get lucky and get it right. So, <laughs> well, great to have you both here. So today, as we as we've been preparing and pre-showing and you name it, we're gonna be diving into a supply chain Super Bowl conversation, that of human versus machine. And Gee and Dr. Bradley, it's, it's an epic ongoing matchup as digital transformation continues to take root across industry, in particular, including distribution, retail, and healthcare, amongst others. But we're going to be talking about those three sectors in particular. So, Dr. Bradley, Gee, are y'all ready to, to dive in here? Let's do it. Okay. So we're going to start with a fun warm-up question to you both in just a second. But folks, guess what? The comments are back at StreamYard and we've got a bunch of folks tuned in. <laughs> so I want to go around the horn and say hello to a few folks. Let's start with Peter Bolay all night and all day. Peter, uh, I saw your earlier podcast. You dropped earlier today. Look forward to that. Feel free to drop that in the comments, but great to see you here. Nikhil, you're back with us via LinkedIn. Great to have you. Uh, Nikhil, I think you've shared before, but let us know where you're tuned in from. Jose, great to see you from sunny Southern California. Now, Dr. Bradley Gee, Jose does a great live stream focused on coffee and logistics, and you can't do logistics without coffee, as we all know. So uh, great to see you here, Jose. Jose Sanchez, tuned in from Atlanta via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Jose. Hwang, tuned in via LinkedIn from Chicago. Dr. Bradley Gee, y'all ever been to Chicago? I love it. Love oh, it's I, awesome. I lived in Chicago for two years. Really? Yeah. Man, Gee, you, you're, you're becoming like an international man of mystery, Gee. You, <laughs> all these experiences I'm so jealous of. Uh, Waneed, I think if I said that uh, right or wrong, let me know. Uh, via LinkedIn from Dubai. Got all kinds of cool, really cool things happening in Dubai for sure. Jason T. Hopkins tuned in from D.C., I bet. He, Dr. Bradley, is also from Alabama. He's a big Crimson Tide fan, uh, but he's doing some... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. But I'll tell you what, where y'all can bond, Dr. Bradley and Gee, is, is Jason T. Hopkins is doing some really cool things from a teaching the, the next generation standpoint. So, Jason, great to see you tuned in. Clay, the diesel Phillips, diesel because his engine's always running, is tuned in <laughs> from over Hugo, Texas. How about that? I think his, he's on his way somewhere. So, Clay, if you want to divulge that. I'll let you do that. David, great to see you here. Gene Pledger from NA, meaning North Alabama. Dr. Bradley, great to see you here, Gene. Brent may know you, Dr. Bradley. Brent is the man. Okay. Well, hey, Brent, that's a big title to, to be uh, put on, but great to have you here. Let us know where you're tuned in from. Kim Winter is tuned in, of course, the one and only Kim Winter. Kim joined us for an episode of The Buzz a couple weeks ago, Guy, and he winterized the addition, yes, shameless dad joke there. But uh, Kim is also in Dubai doing making big things happen across that area, exciting area of the world. Corey Turner is tuned in. Corey, I appreciate your LinkedIn promo. You tuned in from South Carolina. Corey, let us know where, what part of South Carolina you're on. I'm from Aiken. I grew up in Aiken, South Carolina. Emily is tuned in from Atlanta. Delilah Osnell. Hey, welcome everybody. Glad you're here. And uh, we look forward to your contributions as we work through this conversation, Super Bowl, Supply Chain Super Bowl, throughout the next hour or so. So with all that said, 
uh, Dr. Bradley and Guy. I want to warm up with both of y'all and let's talk about kind of our namesake for this episode. And I probably should be referring to the big game so that some NFL's army of attorneys maybe don't reach out. But uh, all right, so the big game was last week. What an uh, an incredible game, an incredible experience on a variety of different levels. Um, let's start with this, Dr. Bradley. Where did you watch the game and what was your favorite, your best thing you ate? So I watched the game from home. I, I had two sons, 13 and nine. And so we were watching it together. And the best thing I ate, don't tell my wife, I had ordered her a coconut cake. And while she was in the back, that's what I was eating. Right. <laughs> hey, your secret is safe between us two and 2,000 other folks. And I love a good, co- well, my mom makes a great coconut cake. So good that one time my uncle was eating it uh, at Thanksgiving. He said, he said, Leah, we got to put these on the market and sell them. And it was so cool. I wish we, I wish she had done that. She might still. Okay. So Gee, how about you? Where'd you watch it? What was the best thing you ate? Yeah, say so I watched it at home. So my girlfriend, I watched it. My son was there watching it too. He, uh, you know, he was he was actually doing his homework too. So he was watching it in his room, then coming out and watching part of it. The best thing we ate, which is kind of kind of funny or kind of sad, I don't know how you want to look at it, but uh, <laughs> we actually allowed ourselves to buy a bag of Doritos because we're usually not allowed to eat those because uh, you know bags would last maybe an hour in the house. <laughs> uh, this would last maybe forty five minutes. Uh, but we bought a bag of Doritos and uh, I remember how delicious they are. And I also remembered why we're not allowed to have these in the house all the time. Because <laughs> we and it wasn't a big bag, but thankfully we didn't buy the Costco size one. We bought right. a reasonable size one. Uh, but I will say a funny story. So my girlfriend started eating Doritos a little bit early before the game started. And at one point I was like, all right, honey, we got to save something to the kid because he's going to want some. And he came out, you know, an hour later and was like looking at the bags like, it's kind of thin, dude. Like, what's going on here? I was like, hey, saved you some at least, right? At least you got some. So just oh, I love it. And, and speaking of great commercials, Doritos always is game for at least one really good commercial. I, I love that. Um, and it, it is the simple pleasures in life. Dr. Bradley, we talked about therapeutic sessions at the grocery store, kind of in self-isolation sometimes. That's that's a good therapeutic practice. But hey, eating simple pleasures like Doritos. Uh, really quick. So Brent, the man, as Dr. Bradley says, tuned in from Bristol, Virginia via LinkedIn. Clay outed himself. He's on his way to Vegas, on his way to Vegas. Los wages, as he said it. Love that. Hey, Chris Bleese is with us. Uh, Chris and I had a a great chat at the Reverse Logistics Association conference last week in Vegas. So Chris, uh, Chris, look forward to to publishing that soon. He's dialed in from Dallas, Texas via LinkedIn. Okay. So one more quick follow-up question, and then we're going to get into the topic of the day, starting with our opening salvo in just a second. Let's talk about that epic halftime show. As I mentioned, I'm going to go ahead and out Amanda because she was giving me such a hard time pre-show. My dear wife, Amanda, knew every single word of that (laughs) halftime show, and our kids saw a whole different version. But Dr. Bradley, what was your favorite part of the halftime? Scott, I must admit, I missed the entire halftime show. Wow. Coconut cake was calling, huh? It, it, it wasn't the cake. It was it was the two little guys in the room who decided halftime. We can play a video game. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I lost. I lost out, man. Man, you did. It was it was incredible. So, Gee. So, since Doctor Bradley couldn't fill in some details there, right? What'd you think? I, I thought it was awesome. Honestly, probably my favorite halftime show that I can remember. Had an argument. Well, argument had a discussion that the Prince one was much better, but I, I will admit I'm not a big Prince fan, so that's kind of lost on me. I thought it was amazing. Um, you know, love Dr. Dre, love his arc, what he's done since NWA, since you know all he's done in terms of business and everything. Um, I think he's amazing. He's a gr- amazing talent, uh, and seeing him on stage was fantastic. Um, you know, and I was like, man, he sold me Dr. Dre beats like that guy's. He's, <laughs> yeah, man. And he doesn't age, Gee. He doesn't does, age. God doesn't age. And he's so talented, right? I mean, I uh, so no, love the halftime show. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, I, I won't make a corny dad joke that you know, fifty cent looked like a dollar fifty, but you know, <laughs> we all deal with that with age. I should be the last one to talk about you know putting on a couple few couple pounds, uh, but no, <laughs> halftime show was absolutely fantastic. Loved it. You know, great job by by the Super Bowl. You know, really just awesome. And and to your point, it was. You know, when you, when I started thinking, I was like, "Wow, some of these songs are like twenty years old." I was like, right. "Oh boy." <laughs> well, you know, so I am no psych. I will never be confused for a psychologist. However, 
is something about the human condition. When we, when, when we connect with a song that we knew 20 or 15, 20, 25, 30 years ago, it puts you right back there. And I think it just, it distance makes love grow fond or whatever that, that phrase is. It really took us all back. And if there, if there's ever a year we needed that, right. And all these crazy things over the last couple of years, that was really cool to see. All right. So let's, I've got some great comments I got to get to before we get to the opening of Salvo. First off, Jake, Jake Barr, the one only, the John Wayne, I think we've been calling him of supply chain. He's on a beach somewhere. Let us know what beach. And he says, Gee is worth it. So, hey, how about that? Christopher, Chris comes in, Dr. Bradley, and says, nothing wrong. You got to have video game time. And Dr. Bradley, what, what video game was, was it uh, that your kids were, were playing during halftime? They were playing a Hot Wheel race track design game. Okay. All right. I like it. Everybody loves our Hot Wheels, right? Let's see here. Adam Polka. So, Adam, folks, be sure to check out the Great Supply Chain <laughs> Podcast. That's good stuff. He says, have you read Guy's rap battle, uh, rap battle with Ludacris? Oh, and he's, wow. got a, he's got a link here, folks. Y'all wow. venture over to this link, and let's check this out. <laughs> All right. And make sure you check out the Great Supply Chain Podcast. Adam does great work over there. Okay. So we've got to get down into uh, – y'all keep the comments coming. Keep the comments coming. We're getting into supply chain now, right? The, getting to the heavy lifting that we, we, we brought the Rock and Roll Express here, Dr. Bradley and Guy, to talk about. So I want to start with level setting, right? Opening salvo. Give us some opening comments. In particular – how did we get to this moment when we think of the, super, the supply chain Super Bowl, human versus machines? And Dr. Bradley, I want to start with you. How did we get here? You know, Scott, there are, there are a number of reasons. And one of the things that often comes to mind for me is when we're starting to pit technology against humans, I, I think we're, we're doomed to fail from the beginning. Because essentially what we need to be doing is looking at how we really join them together. We've got to view this more from an augmentation standpoint rather than a, than a replacement or a competition standpoint. But a lot of this happened primarily because when you look at what most of us have been doing in the supply chain space and how long we've been in the industry, what we have inherited from a supply chain design was not our brainchild. It was the brainchild of predecessors lived in a totally different time where you didn't necessarily have this this rapid how do we say this intense or insatiable desire for we want goods fast we want goods at a total lower cost and we want goods when we want them how we want them and wherever we want them delivered mm -hmm. and so it's really trying to take yesterday's design and yesterday's model and trying to figure out how do we mess that with today's excitement and so that led to this lack of advanced planning around digitalizing our supply chain infrastructure. There is also this naivete with respect to risk management. We talk about the risk. We don't do a good job of managing risk when it really needs to be a core business principle. And then last but not least, we really don't share data well. And I know we'll talk more about data moving forward, but that limited upstream as well as downstream visibility are some of the reasons why we find ourselves where we are. Dr. Bradley, so much there, especially in your last point. We don't share data well. Uh, I instantly come to the U.S. ports. We have massive opportunities to really share data much more effectively amongst all shareholders and to make the ports faster, more efficient. But, uh, Guy, Dr. Bradley kind of, man, talk about level setting. He really laid it out there. What else would you add in terms of how we got here? Yeah, and, 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 it, and it's hard for me to follow up with Randy after what he just said, but I, I'm going to try. Uh, I, I, I think where we've come to, which we can't forget is, I do think at times we have we have looked at technology as a panacea, right? We've always said, oh, well, we'll just invest in more software, invest in more hardware. We'll, we'll look at the technology to help solve it. Uh, and to some degree, that's done a disservice to the technology because for the most part, as Randy said, right? Technology is complementary. It's a tool in our toolbox. How we use those tools really depends upon the human. And I think that's something that we have, kind of forgotten at times. Uh, and I don't know if it's just because, um, you know, a lot of things are changing, obviously a lot of strains on the supply chain, uh, a lot of demands on the supply chain, a lot of which Randy just pointed out, but you know, there's so many different ways that the supply chains are now having to react that it's almost too easy to sort of fall back and say, well, I'll just invest in some more technology, some more software, some more hardware, whatever that may be. And then unfortunately when it doesn't do what we think it is going to do, we sort of turn around and blame that technology as opposed to saying, well, wait a minute, did we truly understand why we were investing in the technology and what it was going to do with our existing 
businesses or existing supply chain. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the joke is, Hey, I give you a bunch of two by fours and hammer and saws. And you're like, well, where's my new deck? Mm -hmm. <laughs> build it. Right. You got to go out and cut the wood and nail the nails and put the plan together and build that deck. Um, I think a lot of times with technology, we've sort of gotten to a point where we just expect, well, I'll just put a new supply chain software in and it will solve the world. No, it doesn't work that way. So mm -hmm. I think we, we've gotten to, and I'm not saying everybody, but I, I think sometimes that, that's a challenge that we who sit in our, our, our space, we face on a daily basis because we have to temper expectations and ensure that the people that are investing in technology, right? The humans understand that the machines are there to help them, but that the humans have to put in their effort to make everything work. So, so I love what Guy is saying because it comes back to a couple of different things, right? This whole thing about pulling out one piece of tech and putting in another piece, I, I liken it to the rubber band game, right? I'm going to stretch it as far as I can until it snaps. And then when it snaps, I'm just going to get a thicker rubber band. And I can at least get that to the same point. And then I'm going to see how far can that go? And so it's the same way with technology. When this one fails me, I go for the new shiny toy and I put it in. But the reality is we don't utilize the resources the way they're intended to utilize them. We utilize them the way we want them to be designed or to be oriented. And then we're disappointed when it doesn't happen. And so really what we have to focus on, why are we investing in any given solution? It's for capabilities. The challenge I see a lot of times, Scott, is we don't have a clear understanding of what our actual needs are relative mm -hmm. to capabilities. What are the true gaps that we're going to fill and what are the gaps that just won't be filled by that solution alone? Excellent, man. I, I tell you, there's so much more good stuff to come. You are just giving us a little taste here, uh, folks. In a moment, I'm going to share a couple of comments and then we're going to be going sector by sector in particular on distribution, retail and healthcare, talking about what's working and not working specifically in those areas. So we welcome y'all's comments as we work through that. But in the meantime, Jake says, amen. We need to recognize that the strategic, structural and operational design of our supply chains are in a constant state of movement. And as such, we will always be sinking the human and technology elements. In other words, it's not Ron Popeil. Rest, rest in peace, Ron Popeil. Set it and forget it. That, global supply chain doesn't work like that. Peter Bollet says, Jake Barr, I feel the younger generation would salute that comment by saying word. I like that, Peter. I like that. Memory says, if technology is an afterthought, it will be blamed for another inefficiency. Excellent point. One more thing here from Jose. First, we need to define, both of you are saying, we need to define expectations and then collaborate to achieve the desired outcome. Wonderful. Jose, Memory, Peter, and Jake. Okay. Well, sorry, Scott. I would say yeah, like please. point. I think I think what's really interesting about that, and I think underlying his comment, is that there is no, you know, I'm gonna get on my little soapbox here. There's no new normal, right? We always talk about this. Well, we're gonna strive to get the it's almost as if when we do something with technology and we hit the pause button and everything, you know, is is static and okay, we're good. To Jake's point, everything's changing, right? That's the only consistent we have is change. So if we expect, and I, I will sort of harp on this, you know, I, I worked at I2 back in the day, way back when I2 was this great up and coming and, you know, we'd compete with SAP. And I was always like, well, we'll just put it SAP and then everything will be fine. No knock on SAP, but the mentality was, oh, it's like an end goal. It's not a, it's not a, a finite goal. It's an infinite goal. And I mm -hmm. think that's what we have to think about. I think Jake's point about that is, is spot on where it's really about, this constant change that we have to adapt to in our technology, there's no end state it's going to get to as a tool. We have to keep manipulating it and using it. And, and to Randy's point, understanding where the gaps are and then dealing with it. And the reality is sometimes there are no knowns and known unknowns. Hey, that's reality, right? There's things that we just can't right. solve or can't optimize for control for it, move on, get to the next step. So he, and we, we can't solve it in isolation. But we can do it if we truly collaborate and as well as cooperate. Yep. And, and so if you think about it, you know, this whole concept of co-opetition, where we take these ent entities that are in the same space competing for the same business or the same talent who are willing to come together for a mind meld, if you will, to want to either address a, a really precarious situation in industry or more importantly, to move industry forward. And I think that's really what it's going to take is entity saying we can go back to competing, but right now is not the time. Right, right. now is the time to come together so we can move past this. Yep. Yes. Well said. Well said. And I'm the only person saying that. Yumisha, 
Very well said, Mr. Bradley. I agree with you, and you make it great to have you here today. And Rebecca says, that's all good stuff, Guy. It needs to be artificial intelligence along with human intelligence. That's how we get to actual intelligence, right? AI plus HI equals AI again. Needs to be a balance, Rebecca says. Great stuff there. Okay, so let's keep driving. I want, we want to go, we want to kind of focus in a little bit more here. I want to go through these next three sectors distribution, retail, and healthcare. And Dr. Bradley, I want to start with you, distribution. If you can speak to a little bit what's working in these areas when it comes to the winning playbook, right? The winning playbook, back to the whole, the big game, right? Clearly the Rams had the winning playbook. It was a close game and Bengals had a, had a great, Bengals had a great run. But when it comes to distribution, what's working and not working? Dr. Bradley. Wow. Let's start with the what's not working. What's, what's not working right now is we still have tremendous labor shortages, whether you're talking about in the warehouse, DCs, or even if you go out to the port, we have tremendous shortages right now. And we do recognize that there's a value and there's a benefit in union. And, I, and I'm all for a union fighting for their members. But going back to my point, there is a time where we have to think about what's the good for society over what was the purpose of my entity being established. And I think we're well beyond that, where each side is really entrenched in their behavior. And then what's happening is the economy holistically is being held hostage while others figure out how to work out their, their issues. It's almost like two kids in a sandbox having a sand fight. No one else can play in the sandbox. Right. And that's essentially what we've got going on right now. And so someone has to step in and be that media to say, what's for good for the economy moving forward? The other thing is I do believe that we are starting to see some emphasis being placed on this very vital sector. Whereas before we have consistently looked at either our, our truck drivers as commodity, we've been looking at the supply chain entity holistic as something that we absolutely have to have, but wish we didn't have to deal with it. And now all of a sudden we realize it's critical infrastructure. It's a key component that helps not only helps one country, but really the global economy is really dependent on that. So I think that's the good thing is that we're getting the attention. Now, the next thing, Scott, is are we going to take advantage of that attention? Are we going to go back to being very tactical and operational in our mindset, therefore putting profits and margins at risk to the point to where we then are back in that corner with the hat on, wishing we had taken advantage of the strategic opportunities that was in front of us? Yeah, Dr. Bradley, if I can piggyback on one of the points you made back on truck drivers, it's amazing. We've built global supply chain on assuming that our drivers are, would be waiting, sitting in their cabs four or five hours and being mistreated uh, largely across industry. We, we, we've got to change that. So, but Guy, uh, going back broad, on a more broader point, when it comes to distribution, what's working and not working? I think what's not working, or I think what Randy pointed out, right, first and foremost is labor, right? And I think, but I think the second part, which I think is not working, and I look at you know, look at us here in the United States specifically, I think is aged infrastructure, right? I think we we have we have sort of given lip service through political cycles about, you know, infrastructure and investing in it. Uh, but the reality is we haven't kept up with what the, the world requires upon that infrastructure. Um, you look at the tragedy in Pittsburgh a few weeks ago, that bridge collapsing. Uh, you look at the age infrastructure at our ports. Uh, you just look at any road you drive on, uh, you know, the age of that infrastructure. You know, I was in China a while back and, and you go there and it's amazing, right? You you, you go, you fly into to Shanghai. There is a high-speed rail that gets you into downtown Shanghai in 15 minutes. Wow. Right? I fly to LaGuardia. Holy cow. Like, you know, I, I might as well walk into downtown New York, right? With all the traffic and everything, the tunnels. You know, I, I, I live in, in Boston. Uh, the big dig, right? It's already being fixed. Uh, I, I mean, that was a massive infrastructure deal when it came up, but it's already sort of falling apart. So I think that's part of what's not working when it comes to distribution in this country in particular is our infrastructure. Yes, absolutely labor. And infrastructure, I think, is is going to be a much more longer term uh, need because, you know, like everything we, we talked about in the pre-show, it's like what we just talked about in this is there's no there's no sort of end state, right? I don't just fix a road and it's done. Guess mm -hmm. what? Unfortunately, weather, temperature, you know, wear and tear is going to take part. You have to start fixing it over again or maintaining it. So I think for us, from a distribution perspective, um, infrastructure is something that is not working right now. Um, there's a lot of good lip service being given to it by politicians. I need to see, or I would like to see, you know, more true efforts being put into it. 
Um, and I also think, you know, it's going to be great for our economy as a whole if we start investing more in infrastructure. Uh, it's not just about the jobs, about redoing the infrastructure. It's about all the jobs it enables once it's up and running. So I think that's the part that that needs improvement. Uh, I think what what is good uh, that's with distribution is I do believe we're starting to get a little bit more as consumers. And what I mean by consumers, I mean <clears throat> those of us who aren't living, breathing supply chain 24-7 are getting a better appreciation of what it means to get that roll of toilet paper to the store shelf, right? Um, I love my mom to death. She's incredibly much smarter than I am, right? She's, she's PhD, but not in supply chain. She finally, during the pandemic, was like, oh, I kind of understand supply chain now. I understand logistics a little bit, right? Because when she went to the grocery store and there weren't, you know, wipe, there weren't, there weren't Lysol wipes or there weren't toilet paper, she was like, oh, okay, I understand what's going I on. I get it now. I get, I get it. it now. Right? So I think that awareness is, is, is a silver lining of what's good today. Uh, and I think that that's something that my hope is not a strategy, but my hope is, is that we will continue as a society to be aware of it. Uh, and being aware of it will also allow us to be more understanding of it. And I think that's very important because again, um, pre-pandemic, I think people just assumed, well, stuff just shows up. Well, yeah, it does, but they're truck drivers. They are, you know, workers at the dock. They're workers at rail. They're workers in the air. They're workers on, on ocean bound, right? There's there's a whole infrastructure behind it to get that product to you. Uh, be more aware and sensitive to that and appreciative of what they do. Yes, yes. Completely agree on that last point in particular. And, and thankfully, I think consumers are feeling, you know, are becoming more aware of all the incredible people that allow us to enjoy you know, e-commerce forward and reverse when we're returning stuff. Let me share a couple of quick comments. Uh, Jose says, talking about competing, we need yes, to compete yeah. with ourselves first and outdo mm -hmm. our yesterday. Completely agree with that. I love yeah, that. That's absolutely. a great t-shirtism. Uh, Jason T. Hopkins, I love this topic. No matter how you invest in shiny new toys, never forget people. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I think this is Colleen. Colleen said, I love Randy's sandbox analogy. One of my favorites. I agree with you, uh, Colleen. Let's see here. Uh, we're getting a couple, a couple comments from healthcare, but we'll get there in a second. Greg says, office buildings are still empty in downtown Milwaukee. It's been two years. We need to move forward. COVID will always be here. We need to move forward with it and work safe. And then finally, I think the team was so excited. They were sharing Jake Barr's uh, commentary here. He says, actually, there are wars within wars at the moment for a shared physical ecosystem that all verticals share. There are technical slash machine ways to help bring better balancing visibility. There are dozens of less mature companies that are attempting to game the system by trying to hedge resources. Bad for everyone, he says. Okay. Scott, yeah, please, that, Dr. Bradley. That point goes back to what Guy and I have been saying, which is everyone is out for what do I need to do? There, there is no I in this global supply network. It's just we, it's just us. Mm, yep. And so if I want to improve me, I got to help to improve us. Yes. And so as long as I'm trying to maneuver and adjust levers that are going to change my operating environment, it does nothing for the rest of the global supply network. And right. we have to realize we are part of a global network. The problem is we, we've always said this, right? You want to think globally and act locally. Mm. That's an incomplete statement because you need to act local and then act like you're part of a member of a global society or a global community. And there needs to be contributions from, from everyone. And once we start to do this, then I believe we can move things forward. But he's spot on with this, with this comment. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Goodness gracious, we got so much to cover, so little time. Dr. Bradley and Guy, they're bringing it today as if this is the halftime show, right? Uh, what an epic <laughs> conversation. Let's move from distribution to retail. And, and you know, we can tell when, when our guests are really bringing it, we can tell because there's lots and lots of comments. And unfortunately, we can't get to all these comments in the skyboxes, but we're going to try. So let's move from distribution to retail. And this time, I want to start with you, Guy. Guy, tell us about what's winning playbook-wise, what's working and not working in retail. Yeah, so I think the positive on retail, which I've been very encouraged in the past few years, is the reinvention of the store. You know, if I go back two, three, four years ago, and and I will freely admit that I, I was, I felt like I was bashing my head against the wall, uh, trying to preach this that the store is not dead, people. The store is redefining itself, and I think we're seeing that more and more. And I think that is working. You know, it's 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 interesting, right? The the grandfather of e-commerce, our good friends at Amazon, they're opening more and more stores. 
Mm, interesting, isn't it? Um, are you know digitally native uh, retail brands like Warby Parker, Casper, uh, Bonobos, you know, All Birds? They're opening their own stores now. Are they all opening the same type? No, of course not. They're opening the store that's appropriate for them. Right. So I think what's working in retail in particular are retailers and brands that are thinking a for themselves, realizing that it's a multi-channel strategy that stores are a role, different types of stores, how they leverage the store. I'm not saying abandon your e-commerce, of course not, because at the end of the day, you know, all of us here on, on this, this live stream or anywhere, at the end of the day, we just want to interact with the brand on the terms that we want to interact. Right. And the brands that are there to meet us there are going to win our business. So that's the positive part. I think the 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 sort of the negative part, and this kind of touches into the fulfillment side as well a little bit, but for retail in particular, I think it's this irrational expectation that everything needs to come to me in two days or two hours. And I'll blame our good friends, Amazon for this. They've created this. You know, at the end of the day, yes, there are certain things that you absolutely need um, rapidly. You need quickly, right? And we'll get to that in healthcare in a second. But I think if for the most part in retail, you know, I think we need to to reassess ourselves and, and sort of check our expectations. And I think that's 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 bad on a lot of different levels. One, I think it's putting a lot of strain on our distribution network to meet irrational goals. I think two, it's hurting us from a sustainability perspective. Right. And I think three, our expectations are kind of skewed now. And I, I will I'll pick up my 14 year old. He had a science project and I was like, well, you need, he, he needed some material. I'm like, okay, well, what do you need? Well, I need this. Well, what do you need by tomorrow? Dude, you should have told me this two weeks ago. <laughs> well, let's go to Amazon and get it. No, not going to work that way. Right. It, it's not, it, you got to plan ahead. Like dad would have gotten you this two weeks ago. And now I go to Amazon and you know, it's, 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 oh, it's going to be here in 10 days. Well, guess what kid? You're not going to make it because you, <laughs> You know, his mindset, it's like, well, I'll just go to Amazon and I'll click two hour to live and I'll be here tomorrow. And it's like, eh. so I think that's, you know, and, and, and the genie's out of the bottle, unfortunately. Right. And I think it's up to us as an industry, but I also look at retailers, right? It's up to retailers to reset expectations with their users because yes, there's some things, you know, if you're buying something you need in a certain time frame, okay, maybe, maybe you should pay a little bit extra for it. But if you want it, you can get it, but you got to pay a little extra. If you don't need it, then, you know, fulfill it on your time schedule. So I think that's, and I'm starting to see a little bit of that change, but I, you know, unfortunately, I think I might be just, you know, a solo voice sitting on an island with water just lapping at my feet because, yeah. It's such you know, a pretty image. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> such a pretty image. Wait, really quick. Before I come to you, Dr. Bradley, you mentioned the Warby Parker. And I think one of the cool things they're doing, you know, because- not only all those things you describe, we're creating tidal wave after tidal wave of returns, and that is not good for anybody. Uh, Warby Parker, as I understand, I don't wear glasses, but they have really baked in advanced ways of making sure you're getting the right eyeglasses, right? And it which will cut, help cut down on returns. It gives us less to manage on the on the reverse side. So uh, a lot of good stuff there, Gee. All right, so Dr. Bradley, when it comes to retail, and you know what, I would argue probably we're all the most, even whether you're in supply chain or not, we all probably are experts as consumers in this one sector of retail because of our experiences. Dr. Bradley, what's working and not working? I, I agree with Geek. I, I love the fact that you're seeing that we are coming back to that having brick and mortar is not a bad thing. It's just having the right type of brick and mortar in the right locale. You know, earlier we were talking about Publix and, and, and one of the things, reasons why I'm so excited about Publix is Publix is always very purposeful and intentional about where they put a store. And, and it's the level of research that goes into not only the community, but it when also who are our customers, right? It's, they're not like other retail outlets where they say it's, it's going to be a splash in the pan. It's not. We're very microscopic. I say they look at things through a periscope. They know exactly who they're going after, the store design, the layout, the items they carry. They don't they don't explain why their prices are higher than the store down the street, because you're going to get what you pay for. And I think in this context that gives and we're now starting to see right sizing in retail rather than just saying go as big as you can, as fast as you can, as often as you like. Mm. The other thing that I think we're also starting to see is you're starting to see automation that we saw 
in what some of the tech firms trying to introduce in retail, we're now seeing our large big box retailer now starting to navigate towards that. And part of that is because of the labor shortage, but also it's because they're finally hearing what consumers are saying. You know, we, we've known for a while that when I go into certain stores, I recognize I am going to be an unpaid clerk. I get that. But right. you know what? There are times when I'm cool with that. But then there are times when I'm not cool with that. So what's not working is we haven't quite figured out when do we shift to one degree versus the other. It needs to be a hybrid approach. And I don't think retailers are really quite either. They haven't quite figured that out or they don't have a desire to figure that out. Mm, so much good stuff there. You know, in particular, about halfway through your response, you talked about how uh, we, we've gotten very lasered in, white hot lasered in into what the consumers want. You know, in, in eras of bygone periods, you know, the 70s and 80s and 90s, it seems like uh, stores and retailers could get away with not doing all of their homework. In today's environment, holy cow, the stakes are, are much bigger. And if you don't, if you don't listen to figure out, know, and execute on exactly what your customer wants, you're going to end up like some of the stories we've seen in the last couple of years in the, what, the retail apocalypse, right, as they've yes. called it. Yes. All right. I'm going to share a couple of comments here, and I'm going to get back because we're going to tackle healthcare, which is perhaps, well, not perhaps, as we've seen, it is uh, one of the most important sectors across uh, global industry. Let's see here. Start with Jake. Man, Jake is a, a third featured guest uh, in the comments here. He says, thought leaders like yourselves and us, can actually move to bring together vertical leaders to host sprint sessions mm -hmm. to even help the government prioritize the infrastructure projects. Excellent point. And I would add, I don't think we had a comment earlier about an infrastructure bill being passed. It hasn't been passed, I don't believe, by both sides of Congress and been enacted as law. I think they're still negotiating that amongst all those parties. So not yet. Chris says, working together is such a challenge in the competitive market we live in with the thought that knowledge is power versus working together to solve the issue. There, there, are, there are some obstacles to truly bringing everybody together under that we banner that Dr. Bradley was talking about. Memory says, if I pay for it, I need it before the end of the day, before I get more <laughs> alternative options. <laughs> that. Heidi agrees with you. Amazon's created this culture of must have it now. Gee, you are spot on. Tim, let's got to Tim it up with old Tim Ingram. Good to see you, Tim. Just in time, had a lot to do with the next day, two-day inventory management theory. Excellent point. And finally, one and only Adam Polka. Adam says, stores play an important twofold role for customer experience, showrooming, experiential retail, cost-efficient returns, et cetera, and also for fast-slash-convenient fulfillment. Bopus, right? Buy online, pick up in store, micro-fulfillment, Q-commerce, et cetera. A lot of good stuff there, Adam. Okay, retail, we could do hours upon hours. And again, I think it's part of it because retail is so intertwined with supply chain, but also we all know it because we're all experts and we're making, we're retail consumers every day. So it's always a fascinating area. Okay, we got to keep moving though, because I want to get into healthcare. And Dr. Bradley, I want to lead off with you here as we think of the winning playbook, what's working and what's not working from a healthcare standpoint, what say you? So, Scott, I'm going to say something I've been saying for a while, and I know some people take offense when I say this, but it's okay. It's reality. The healthcare supply chain is not broken. Okay. All right. It, 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 my whole point is it's performing as we designed it to perform. The problem is we're not using it as design. We're expecting it. We designed it to be efficient, and we, but in doing that, we also designed it to be fragile. Maybe that was the unintended consequences of the decisions we made. You heard the comment about JIT, right? Even in talking with, with a group of, of supply chain leaders, the interesting thing is prior to COVID, about 48% of them said that their primary approach to inventory management was JIT. But then when you asked them what was going to be their approach to inventory management post-COVID, nearly 78% of them said it was going to be JIC, just mm. in case, hefty safety stock. Essentially meaning that, so here we are in, a, in an era where an organization that can have 4% margin is considered to be extreme, but in reality, they were operating around 2% margin during a time where revenues were going down, so the margins were being sliced even more, and yet our strategies or our approach to managing supplies and inventory were actually costing the organizations more. And then we say we want to have the strategic recognition. 
Well, we're not doing any service to those other members of the C-suite by way of the decisions we make. And the sad part is this, Scott, they're looking at us to be the supply chain expert. Right. And their point is, so you're supposed to know what you're doing and yet you're costing us more and we have no idea what we're doing. So maybe we should just go back to doing it the way we were doing, right? We're going to send you back to the basement next to the morgue. Mm. And we're going to, right? Because essentially that's, that's what you got to find. Right. And so my whole point here is this, there is an opportunity for supply chain to really be more like what we see in other sectors. I'm not saying they have to be Amazon. I'm not saying they have to be Dell or Walmart, but it doesn't hurt us to think a little more like the way that they think. And I understand that say it's one thing to be out of, it's one thing to not have your favorite tennis shoe. It's another thing not to have a vital drug. But you know what I say? That's more fodder for my argument. Mm. Because if the supplies that you carry are much more vital, if the implications are much more dire, then we should probably put much more emphasis on being a strategic partner rather than just being perpetual firefighters. Oh, man. Lots of teacherisms there. Guy, I'm going to come to you in just one second. But since Dr. Bradley mentioned tennis shoes, I've got to just recognize we have Michael Caney with Port City Logistics in part of the conversation. Michael, try to get your question. Michael has got a tennis shoe collection. He was on a live stream with us yesterday, and he knows more about shoes. He even he even determined who I was, and he talked about me wearing my white New Balance, and I had on. And he was right. He was right. I you know I'm a dork like that. But hey, Michael, great to see you. Glad you're here. And Jake says, uh, Ward Randy, the unfortunate reality on the healthcare side is that really 80% of the supply network design is not designed for agility. No miracles coming without significant redesign. And one last comment here, Tandra Bellamy. Tandra, the one only Tandra Bellamy is here. Uh, We designed it to be cheap. That's why so many, that's why so uh, many of our healthcare products are produced offshore. That does not allow rapid response and crisis. Tandra, I hope this finds you well. Uh, look forward to reconnecting with you soon. Okay. So, Gee, we're talking healthcare. There's so much to tackle. It's really tough to get this in um, that, this retail, hot topics. What do you say, you, when it comes to what's working and what not, what's not working? Yeah, I, I'm going to mirror what Randy said about what's not working um, to some degree. And, and, and I think I, I might expand this across the board, right? Where it's, we have run our supply chains in such a lean methodology, and we've run our supply chains to some degree being driven by our, our friends over the financial department, right? Our, our CFOs and such were looking at working capital and saying, hey, here's a great piece of, of item on my balance sheet. I can skip down and I can really cut, 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 cut to make my margins look better, free up cash, et cetera. I don't want that pesky inventory lying around. Uh, why would I need to build stuff ahead of time? Because good goodness, I don't need it. It's just going to you know stock up in, in my, my warehouse and then it's going to loop out of my balance sheet. And I think that's what we've we've seen, and at least I've seen from a lot of the companies we work with. What I do like is that there's sort of a, a pivot where people are starting to rethink this to Randy's point, right? This just in case, the fact that you know what? Uh, your inventory actually relates to to really life or death situations. Maybe don't run it so lean, right? To to, to Randy's point, like, hey, if if I don't get my uh, my my new balance 805s, uh, it, it, you know. <laughs> Uh, in time, it's okay, right? I can still wear my old ones. Uh, sorry, 908s. Um, but, uh, you know, if I don't get that plasma, or if I don't get that drug in time, that has real repercussions. Right. I think we're seeing the same thing and not to just, you know, steer away, but I think I look at healthcare. I also look, you know, look at the auto industry, look at everything that has to do with semiconductors, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen this, right? Car prices going through the roof. Why? Because we ran things so lean with things like semiconductors and others. And I think in the healthcare space in particular, because again, this is truly life or death, right? This is talking about us uh, and our welfare and our well-being. Um, I think that's that's been a challenge. Uh, I think the positive side that I have seen is I think more and more of those folks in the healthcare supply chain are coming around to realizing this. Now, the question I have or the challenge I have to our colleagues in healthcare is, it's okay today. It's great that today we're having these conversations. What happens in 10 months, 12 months, 18 months when when things, hate to use this term, go back to normal, right. but right when things go back and all of a sudden now, Wall Street, our CFOs, the financial side is pressuring us again to say, wait, why are you carrying you know, eight weeks of safety stock? We could do it with only four weeks or two weeks, or we'll just you know, JIT it. We'll just get it whenever we need. You know, What I fear is that we, we sort of go back to feeling comfortable mm. and that we start looking at our supply chains again and saying, hey, 
let me cut the fat and make it look good because you know what? I've got my quarterly stock report coming up or, you know, I'm going to be on Kramer tomorrow and I want to talk about how great my balance sheet looks. So I think that's, that's what I fear. I, to Randy's point, I think we have an opportunity now to really take hold of this conversation and change the way we look specifically at the healthcare supply chain and how we do things. Um, it's a challenge on all of us to truly take advantage of this moment and not to let us sort of slide back into a comfort zone uh, and let, again, not to pick on them, not to let the accountants and the, the CFOs and Wall Street dictate to us how we run our inventory. You know, and, and, and we're, we're, that's what we're seeing, right? If we look at what we saw with waves one and two of COVID, and when the, we started to hit this law, right, we saw rates declining, we saw bad rates opening up, and what happened? We thought everything was over with, right? We were initially focused on PPE, but what we missed, the trimmers. And remember I told you, they're aftershocks. The aftershocks said that it's not just going to be PPE that you can't get. There are going to be other critical items that are ultimately going to be affected. And so because we hadn't made changes in the way we approach and the way we manage, now all of a sudden that list of 10 items is a list of 30, 40, 50 items that now we're struggling to get on a consistent basis that we actually need. Yep. Yes. All right. So I'm going to move us ahead. We, we got a lot more of both Guy and Dr. Bradley. We want to share with everyone. Uh, there's, there's a lot of folks claiming y'all dropping mics. You got t-shirt isms. Y'all really making a mark here as expected. So I want to move forward. I want to talk really quick about what we're calling the data determinant, right? And I want to get, uh, let's stick with Dr. Bradley here for a second. Talk about how data is key to automation enablement. You know, I, I always like to think about it in terms of this pyramid that we're working towards, Scott. And essentially, one of the things that you're going to have at this base is you're going to have that digital connectivity. And then as you get the digital connectivity, you've got to move up to this automation. That digital connectivity is necessary to make sure that data can flow more seamlessly, right? Then we can start to automate. Then we can start looking at advanced analytics. And then we can get into more predictive or really more emerging technologies that we bring to the foreground. But apart from that, what we have to think about is this data is that central core to both your digital strategy and your analytic strategy. And unfortunately, the work we have done with a multitude of organizations, we find that fewer than 25% of them have a digital strategy. Around 18% of them have an analytic strategy and approximately seven to 9% of them have a data strategy. Wow. Now think about that. The part that's key and critical to all of them is the one that exists the least. And so yet nearly every one of these organizations have digital and analytics initiatives underway, but yet we haven't thought about where we're going, what it'll look like when we get there. So how will we know when we've arrived? All right. So Guy, man, you bring data to a data conversation. He's making some big points there. What do you, when you, when you think of data being that critical key to automation enablement, what do you say? I agree. And I, you know, I'll, I'll go back to a prior life of mine when I worked in, in the warehouse automation space, right? And we built robots, right? Which were very, very cool. But I, I remember our founder made a great point. He said, you know, the, the hardware does the work, but the software, the data is what creates the work. And, you know, I think what we need to look at when it comes to data, and, and Randy's heard me say this a million times, I'm gonna say it again. But, you know, when I hear data is a new oil, I kind of laugh. I'm like, well, oil is nothing until I refine it, until I do mm -hmm. something with it. Right. And so I, I mold that data into what I want it to do for me. You know, for example, I, I think, you know, going back to our Super Bowl analogy, right? So much data in sports these days, you know, football, ba of course, baseball. But the reality is you, you, you look at it and, and what data do you need to find mm -hmm. and what decisions you want to make based on that data, knowing that you can always get more data. But at the end of the day, when you're on the football field and that play clock's coming down, you got to make a decision and then you got to execute a play. And then you, you know, you, you have to hope your training or things done well, the data could tell you, well, there's 18% probability of this and 50%. Well, you know what, at the end of the day, the coach has to make a decision. And I think that's part of it where, you know, I think to, to Raina's point that we need to, we need to move to a more sophisticated view of how we leverage data as opposed to what I think, again, as a very basic sophomoric way of looking at, it, which is, well, we should get more data. Right. What do you do with it? You know, and I, sorry, so I'll give you an example, you know, way back in the day when I was an analyst and I remember going to a GE conference where, uh, you know, they're talking about IOT enabled airplane engines, IOT enabled locomotives, which were fantastic. And I was sitting next to the CIO of a, of a midsize airline 
and you know they're up there and, and Imla's talking about IoT enabled their plane engines throwing like 2,000 points of data off per second. And the CIO is like, that's great. And he looked at me and goes, what am I going to do with that? <laughs> right. And he was like, what, what, what am I going to do with it? I don't know where to store it, let alone if I can store it in my servers, what do I do with it? Right. I think this notion of, well, let's just get more data for the sake of it is is wrong, right? I think to Rainey's point, we need to have the right strategy and the right efforts around it, as opposed to just say, well, let's have a data gathering strategy. To yeah. that point from Guy, you know, we study or we work with about 800 different companies here on this whole thing about how do you really corral data that's coming from multiple sources or multiple streams? Because to Guy's point, as you use more IoT, other forms of sensors and devices, you're creating more data streams that you've got to figure out how to corral and how to integrate. Here's the tricky point here. Only about 15% of that nearly 800 companies say that they are good or excellent when it comes to corralling that. 15%. Right. And so yet we're making decisions to Guy's point was let's produce more, let's produce it faster, let's produce it at a more granular level. We can't handle, we can't handle little data, right? Let alone talking about big data. So let's first figure out what we need to make the decision and let's provide it the right context, right level to the right individual at the right time. The decisions need to be made in real time. The data doesn't always have to be real time. Yes. Okay. Really quick. We'll see if we're going to have a baseball season. Our world champion, Atlanta Braves, you know, they're raring to go to defend the title. We'll see. But as, as Guy mentioned, you know, in baseball, you got all these shifts. Well, the umpires don't give managers four hours to figure out where they're going to shift. They got to, they got to have the right data right there in a the moment. And, the, and those shifts happen right there, whether you're a big fan of them or not. So a lot of good stuff, always good sports analogies. All right. So we got to keep driving here because we got a little more we want to get into and we're, all, we're approaching the top of the hour, bottom of the hour, whatever. I always get that wrong. I think it's top of the hour. Let's go with uh, what, um, let's go with some big, bold predictions from our panel here. And let's make these Reader's Digest style or kind of in a nutshell, because I want to get to some of the cool things that Dr. Bradley has been learning from the, the now generation. So really quick, uh, Guy, let's stick with you. Give us one prediction. Peer, peer deep into your crystal ball. Give us one bold, fearless prediction. I think one uh, bold, fearless prediction is uh, look for sustainability to become much more of a business driver in supply chain across the board, retail, distribution, healthcare, brands, petrochem, what have you. Uh, look for sustainability to be less, not not a marketing a tagline, but an actual business driver uh, within the industry and look for Europe to lead with that. I love that. And as Scott Case with NRF uh, made a great point a couple weeks ago in Vegas, Let's bake that, those priorities into how we design global supply chains so they can really support our efforts to make big gains there. So a lot of good stuff there. Guy, Dr. Bradley, what would you say when it comes to one big, bold prediction? Supply chain disruptions will be the norm. Business interruption will be the exception. And supplier diversity will be table stakes. Man, it's just that simple and succinct. I love that, by the way. Oh, JT Hopkins says, bring Doc Bradley back. You know, so Guy's got a fan club here, and clearly Dr. Bradley's going to have one as well. So a lot of good stuff there. All right. I want to stick with you, Dr. Bradley, for a second. Then Guy will get your response based on what he shares. And we, it, it's no, it's it's not good enough to call the folks that are matriculating through UTs and, and other programs into global supply chain, the next generation, because they're already been they're already making an impact. So we like to coin that the now generation. So Dr. Bradley, we're big believers in that reverse mentoring and all we gain from, from what the now generation shares. What are some of, some of your favorite moments uh, in terms of observations or what they've shared with you? That one, they're not coming to you to stay. Just know that they're coming. <laughs> I'm just being clear. They're, they're not coming. They're not, they're not going to be like us. Like many of us, we, we we're lifers for the most part. They're not looking for that. They're looking for, they're looking for interesting projects that are challenging projects. They're looking for an experience. And then once you can no longer provide them an experience or a challenge, they're on to the next thing. It doesn't mean you did anything to make them upset. It's just that they checked the box and they moved on to the next box. They save for experiences. They're not necessarily saving to build this, this house on the hill. And so I think it's important for us to be mindful of the way they think and how they want to live their lives. Mm, wow. Bruno is weighing in. I, I'm with you. 
They're not yours for life. They're not sticking with you. Uh, Ikemafuna, uh, I believe I said that right. Quite insightful statement from Dr. Bradley. Completely agree. And she says disruptions are really here to stay. The other thing that uh, Dr. Bradley said. Okay, so Gee, based on what you heard there, and, and I'm sure you know you, you you've got your finger on the pulse. You talk with uh, the members of the Now Generation all the time. What are some of your favorite observations there? You know, I think what's been really interesting, and, and I'll take this more from what we lived through in the past two years, which I think is fantastic, is the now generation, for us old curmudgeons here, uh, <laughs> they've, they've sort of, uh, they've said, well, wait a minute, why can't we do X, Y, and Z? And why do we need to wait mm -hmm. to get this done? Right. And I, I've heard a lot of stories and had a lot of conversations with people during the pandemic. You know, they say, well, why don't, you know, we're going to do this. Okay, just do it. Why? Because these are unprecedented times. Whether it's things like work from home, whether it's things like bringing Bopac or Bopes to a retailer, uh, whether it's new projects that got accelerated and all of a sudden, funny, all that red tape just disappeared and just get it right. done. I think that now generation, what, I, what I'm encouraged by is that this has taught them and shown them, wait a minute, why do you have to wait 10, 15, mm -hmm. 24 months for a project? If you think it's that important, just get it done and get it done now. And, and don't be afraid to you know, sort of break some eggs as you're doing it ask forgiveness, not permission. And I think for, for, you know, old curmudgeons like me, it's like, okay, great. Now I get it. It's good. And I think it's, 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 it's scary at times, right? Because all of a sudden we're all thought process is being totally turned upside down and challenged, but I think that's the way it has to be. Um, and one last one too, and I think we've talked about this, but I do think that there's more and more of a collaborative view of some of these things. Now, I'm not going to I'm not going to say we're going to move away from, you know, unbridled capitalism and competition that will always be there and that's what makes us strong as well. But I do believe I'm seeing the now generation a better sense of, you know what? Yeah, everything impacts everything else, right? I don't I don't live in a silo. I don't live just in my town, my state, my country, right? I right. live in a global community. So, I think we're starting to see more of that in the now generation. But I think the big one for me is is just this this unwillingness to accept well, let's have another meeting about this and think about it and then do a subcommittee to weigh it. No, just do it. Ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that. Uh, Jason says, people, people, people. I'm with you there. Uh, and this is a great comment. This might be Colleen. Uh, it's not just the now generation as evidenced by the great resignation during the pandemic. I, I agree with you. I, the reason I was asking about the now generation is because Dr. Bradley, he's regularly dealing with undergraduates and graduates. So that's that's all. Everyone's making a big impact. So it's a great point there, Colleen. Uh, Tandria says, actually, mentees can be with you for life employees not so much employees generally are not invested a strong mentor mentee relationship can be lifelong Agreed. well said that okay so as much as i hate to start to wrap up our time here i'm going to make sure folks know how to connect with dr bradley and Gee in one second but really quick to our team our production team big thanks to amanda and Catherine and chantelle and clay wherever he is flying over now as he heads out to vegas we got a, a neat resource that we want to share from our friends at Texas, the Warehouse Automation Education Series. So let's drop that link in the comment. It's free to sign up for and download. I think you might just have to submit some information. And uh, then you can you can get more content from curmudgeons like Guy Corton, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you used the word, so I figure I could use it too. Good one. All right. So y'all check that out. Uh, a lot of good stuff there. Okay. What a lively an enlightening conversation. Key, every time you appear, it's always like that. But man, we doubled down by having Dr. Bradley join. We got the fan club started. Let's make sure folks know how to connect with both of y'all after today's live stream. Dr. Bradley, I want to start with you. You know, when you're not inspiring minds and doing work out there with corporations and, and making industry better under the we banner, rolling it together, how can folks connect with you? Pretty simple. You can find me on LinkedIn, Randy V. Bradley, the same on Twitter, or you can hit me at randyvbradley.com. Wonderful. It's just that easy. I got to ask you, what does the V stand for? Vidal. Really? Vidal? Like Gore yeah. Vidal? Like Vidal Sassoon. Oh, yeah. Okay. Very nice. We're going to have to have you back <laughs> and get the origin story on Dr. Randy Vidal Bradley. Okay. Always a pleasure. All right, Guy. Really enjoyed uh, the series we've had here. So much good stuff, man. We're talking healthcare, retail distribution, uh, generational observations here today. So much good stuff in an hour. How can folks connect with you and the hard-hitting Texas team? 
Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, you know, go to our website, uh, texasTESSYS.com. For me directly, obviously, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, just my name, Guy Gupta. <laughs> Uh, also on Twitter, uh, I'm just at G-C-O-U-R-T-I-N. Uh, so I will tweet about, as you know, Scott, all kinds of random stuff. So always looking for an audience. But, uh, you know, just hit, hit us up on any of those sites uh, and look forward to connecting. And again, just a shameless plug of uh, any folks who are going to be out will be we and I will be at Modex and coming up in Atlanta. Um, so come by our booth. Would love to uh, chat and, and and learn more about what you guys are looking at and, and how we can help and what else is going on out there. But uh, looking forward to it. And hopefully, knock on wood, that you know our event seasons go back to normal and we get to see each other face to face. And uh, that's part of the, that's one of my favorite parts of the job. I'm with you. I am so with you. That's where we first met face to face at Modex, and it's been a great great uh, collaboration ever since. Make sure y'all check that. By the way, Guy is a wonderful. Twitter connection slash follow, especially if you love uh, the real game of football, not the American version. He's a passionate uh, football fan, and uh, I've learned a lot just by uh, checking you out on Twitter. Uh, I know nothing about the game, Keith, nothing about the game. Um, all right. Folks, make sure you connect with Dr. Randy Bradley and Guy Coton with uh, Guy with Texas, of course, and Dr. Bradley with the University of Tennessee. Delightful guest. Thank you to you both. Thank you, pleasure. Thank you, Scott. And until next time, but folks, hey, love all the comments in the skyboxes. Y'all hit it out. Gosh, it felt like we had 37 featured guests, right? A lot of complimentary and eureka moments being dropped in the skyboxes. Thanks so much. That makes it all the worthwhile, despite how much we love our guests. We had a bunch of them here today. Uh, big thanks, to Dr. Bradley. Big thanks to uh, Guy and Texas team. Folks, if you learn anything here today, stealing something from Dr. Bradley. We're all in this thing together, right? We're all in this thing together. So challenging you on behalf of our entire supply chain out team to do good, to get forward, to be the change that's needed. On that note, we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.